Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So I'm going to start out with the story because if you know me at all, I love my stories. And yes, it includes my husband, Seth, because I love my husband, Seth. And so a couple of years ago, we, we have four children. We only had three at the time, and our youngest was about a year old. And we were in the thick of life, okay? We, were, we still are. We'll be married 15 years this November, praise God, okay? But we're only 15 years old. Bless the Lord for those in our house that we can glean from that are 40, 45 years in, 50 years in. My parents will be married for 50 years. It's like, oh, I want to sit at those feet, you know. But we'll be married 15 years this November. And we've had a little bit of life with us, having kids, nursing, nursing children, jobs, changing jobs, moving states, doing all this sorts of stuff. And there was a time when I remember us filling out our tax form in this one particular year, and we had five jobs between us. We didn't realize it because we were just going. We were just doing what we needed to do, right? And I remember one time my husband told me, he made a joke, and it was, it was actually really funny because how crazy putting kids to bed can be, and all the parents said, amen. Um, and so I remember my husband telling me, let's just at least fall asleep on the same floor tonight. Just wherever we are in the home, let's just fall asleep on the same floor. And we laughed, we laughed. That night we had a little bit more of a serious conversation though. Because we were privy to some things that some dear friends of ours were going to and they were first time empty nesters. And my husband came to me and he said, hey babe, I don't want us to become empty nesters and all four of our children to go. And I don't want to wake up and be so surprised that I don't know you. I don't want to be so surprised that I spent this much time around you. And we like each other. Look, he is my, my best friend. We are best friends. We prefer to be around each other. We like each other. We're funny together. And we're kind of funny. We enjoy each other. I'd rather be around him than anyone else at the end of the day. Same for him. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was all I... <laughs> just kidding. It's not like that. He's the head of our house. (sighs) But listen, he told me that, and I thought, well, what makes you concerned? He said, I don't, I mean, I think we can just keep doing this. And what we're watching is some of our friends get to these empty nester years, and we're walking side by side, and baby, we just, we can't just keep being next to each other. I don't want to be surprised that I don't know you and the intimacy isn't there. I don't want to have to start over. I want to be closer to you than that. And I believe what the Lord is saying about worship this morning is, I don't want you to come to worship on Sundays and be up here at the altar with me or out there with me and be surprised at how much you don't know me. I don't want worship to be something that shocks you into the reality that you've not been as intentional as you thought with your relationship with him. And so this, the title of my message this morning is called Stay Close, because we're going to talk about what it looks like, yes, to stay close to Jesus, but what a relationship with him looks like that produces a reverence that puts us in awe while we're in his presence, so that while we're worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
the one true king. We say it over and over. And guys, I'm so passionate when I say it because that's it. He's all we've got. He's the only one. He's eternal. He's the eternity. He gets our all. But he doesn't deserve our leftovers. I would never think to give my husband my leftovers. It's not the marriage I want. I don't want a marriage that survives off of just being in the same house. I don't want it. I want a marriage that when I miss him, I need him. I want a marriage that when we know each other, we know each other so well that not only can he finish my sentence, but he can actually say it for me. And that isn't built off of being close to him and just close by him. The same with the Father. When we come to worship the King of Kings, there's a reverence that is cultivated in us through our intimate relationship that we're intentional to have with him. And so many of us, I believe, can say, we don't want friendships like that. We don't want that. So what do we choose to do? We choose to put all of our intention, all of our value, all of our time into those relationships. My question today is, when we think about worshiping the King of Kings, does it include putting every intentional value and ultimate value unto God? Let's not be surprised at how much we don't know him when we get to worship. Rather, let us be pushed into an intimate place of worship because we've spent time with them, with him there outside of just Sunday. Just Sundays is just being content with having him around. That's not worship. Worship is day in and day out. It's carving out time for the one true king who you don't want to be shocked that you don't know and you definitely don't want to be shocked that he goes, hold up, you did all this in my name, but who are you? Because that's what scripture says, okay? And the goodness of God is this. The goodness of God is that his mercy, his grace is great enough for us to come back to him over and over and over and over. You know, all throughout scripture, there's a lot like his mercies are new every morning. His mercies call back his people who have, you know, gone far away. You know what's interesting? Is that the newest study as of August 2022 actually has proof that we wake up with anywhere from 300 to 700 new, brand new neurons every single morning. Here's why that's important when we, when we cite that scripture. His mercies are new every morning. Neurons are the things in our brain that attach thought processes. They're the little things that attach bridges to make permanent thoughts about what we believe and what we think. It used, it was told before that our neurons were gone. As we lived, they just died. The beautiful thing about his mercies being new every morning is that our brain actually produces stuff to create new thoughts every morning. It might be a good idea for us to practice worshiping him day in and day out and trying again every day, not just on Sundays. Amen. You see, our worship should be grounded in an intimate relationship and reverence to God. Relationship, having that intentional intimacy with God. Reverence is the recognition of his sovereignty. 
His sovereignty is the supreme power to rule and overrule anything on earth, in the universe. We reflect what we revere and we become what we behold. We revere something. Reverence is being in awe of something or someone's supreme power over us. So if we don't have reverence for God, something's getting it. Because worship's not an if thing. It's not an if thing. It's a who, what, or when. You will worship something. You will revere something. You will have deep relationship with something or someone. When it comes to worship, how are we able to answer that question? We reflect what we revere and we become what we behold. Where is the depth of your intimacy with God taking you? Is it taking you to have reverence for him in worship? Or is it leading you to just be okay that he's around? So what do intimate relationships that lead to reverence look like? And ultimately into a holy of holy place of worship with God. There's a couple of characters in the Bible. There's a lot of characters in the Bible, but we're going to look at a couple right now that really emulate what it looks like to have an in-depth relationship with Christ that led to the reverence and the knowing of his sovereignty no matter their circumstances. Because his sovereignty will show up no matter your circumstance. It's up to us to be able to recognize when he does. And if you don't know him well, you won't recognize when he swoops in. So we're going to take a look at Daniel. So Daniel is the guy in the Bible who got thrown into the fire with his two friends. Y'all remember this story? Daniel fast, fasted only vegetables and water when the king asked him. Here's the thing about Daniel. He was asked to worship someone else. Very directly, it, there's no gray in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, read it. They just tell him, stop him go to him. And because Daniel knew the sovereignty of God and he had such an in-depth relationship with the father, he knew that he could say no and that the sovereignty of God would rescue him. That's the beauty of having the type of relationship that Daniel had with God that led him to the reverence because the knowing his reverence built a trust that God was going to be there no matter what. He knew what was coming if he said no. Daniel knew what was coming if he said no to worshiping someone other than God. But he said no anyway. And so what happens? He gets thrown into the fire with his friends, and who shows up? God. Now some people, some theologians think it's the first uh, presence of Jesus before he was born that was with him and his friends in the fiery furnace. Some people think it was an angel. Listen, the point is Daniel knew his father so well that he knew his sovereignty because of his reverence for him that he trusted God was going to show up. So he went into that fiery furnace. I'm sure he was nervous. He was human. But he knew that he knew that he knew. How did he know? Because he knew his father. How did he know his father? If you look throughout the entire book, he fasted, he prayed, he fasted, he prayed, he fasted, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. He was not just comfortable having a bunch of people around that knew Jesus. He wanted him himself. 
We learned about David last week, an amazing word from Pastor Brian Nira, lessons from a lover, about someone like David who knew the intimacy of God so much that no matter what came, he always went back to worship. I love the story about David in the Bible. Um, It's a hard one, but, you know, David has an affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, okay? And his servants come to him and say, hey, we have to tell you what's up. We have to tell you that your son's going to be put to death because of your sin. So David hides himself, fasts and prays because he knows, I know my God. I'm going to come to him with everything I want. But he is sovereign and will do what he wants. But I'm going to do what I know to do to be close to him. His servants come back and he sees him whispering and he's like, I know they know. They're not going to tell me. And he says, is my son dead? And the servants say, your son is dead. David gets up, gets dressed, washes his face and goes to worship. And his servants go, what is going on? And David's response is, my God is sovereign. He will do what he wants. I'm going to worship him. You don't get to a place like that without a connection to him that supersedes your circumstance. That's the relationship we want. Mary and Martha, they've been told several times. There's all sorts of stories about Mary and Martha. But in scripture, I want everybody, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read some scripture about Mary and Martha. They were good friends with Jesus. And we're going to find out how good of a friend they were. Okay? One of them was a very good friend of Jesus. And there were some habits she had that led, her, that led us to believe through the scripture that she knew a lot about him. She was comfortable with him. The other sister wanted him. She wanted everything she could get from him. So we're going to start here. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Take note, Martha invited Jesus. That's important. Verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Pause. In this time, culturally, that was not supposed to happen. In this time, culturally and contextually, only men were allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi to be discipled by their teachings. Mary wasn't supposed to be there culturally. Let's keep reading. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was prepping. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. She was very direct with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't talk to a whole lot of people that I don't know well and consider very deep friends the way she just talked to Jesus. I said, tell her to get over there. <laughs> That's how I like to envision Martha. She sna- I snap when I'm frustrated. I like to envision her going up to Jesus and going, don't you see I'm all by myself? Tell that woman to get over here with me. I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to talk to people that way that I don't really know. To me, that's indicative that she had a real good friendship with Jesus because she could talk to him the way she did. Verse 41, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't show up to a lot of fall festivals where everybody wants to dress up like Martha. Right? 
We knock Martha a lot because of her attitude, her complaining, her, perce- her perception of what was going on. But I think if we're really honest, we are actually more like her, more consistently in life than we're not. I am. My children were sitting up here in the first service. You know what my daughter Elizabeth said? She's like, I'm so glad you were honest. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Y'all don't sleep on Elizabeth. You might be careful. Well, she's got to tell you. (laughs) I am. Listen, I've had four children. I've tried to do two jobs while I'm staying at home while my husband's doing three. Life happens. Yes, I have stood in front of my husband while he has said, honey, I'm happy to listen to everything you have to say, but if there is no solution to your complaining, I need you to either go call your sister and Bethany or go pray. (laughs) Amen? I mean, it's not just me. I don't think so. You see, Martha got comfortable with the fact that as long as Jesus was near, she was okay. Remember back in scripture, she welcomed Jesus in. That's important to note because she knew who she was inviting in. But she still went to do all the things that she needed to do instead of have reverence for the person that she just invited into her home. To me, that's indicative of someone who feels good enough to have someone close by but not close to him. Martha was okay to be close by him, not close to him. And I think the question is, how many of us are okay with just being close by him and not close to him? How many of us are okay as long as we go to church once a week, every other week, COVID changed things. It changed things. We see more and more attendance in church once a month-ish. How many of us are okay to just be around, to just have this on the nightstand? I actually open it. I'll listen to five podcasts, though. I will listen to five podcasts, but I haven't opened this in three months. How many of us are comfortable with having him close by but not being close to him? And worship is being close to him. It's being with him. It's not knowing about him so much because then what do you have to offer in worship? Whatever it is, it's probably not yours. You're probably borrowing somebody else's. But here's the beautiful thing about Mary being at his feet. Jesus says, hold up, but if you witness what your sister's doing, you can do it too. There's not condemnation for being comfortable with things. Listen, I was a mom having four children. I struggled. I struggled with having quiet time with God. It didn't look the same anymore. And I would feel so much shame. Oh, I better guess I'm Martha. I'm not going to the fall festival. I don't know who I'm holy enough to dress up like. No, it wasn't shame. It was finding a way to sit at his feet. And it might look differently in your season of life, but find a way to sit at his feet. Because I believe what the Lord is saying is, I don't believe that what he's saying is you have to choose either Mary or Martha to be in your life. I don't believe this is why Luke included this in the Bible. I don't believe this is why God breathed his life on this, to go, you either going to be Mary or Martha. Caitlin, you pick. Michelle, you pick because you both can't be 
one. That's not what he's saying. I believe what he's saying is look at what it looks like to ebb and flow between these two personalities. And then train yourself to be able to choose sitting at my feet more often than not. So with Martha being used to having Christ around, and she was also upset about the fact that Mary was doing something she wasn't supposed to be doing. So yes, she was complaining about being alone, doing all the work by herself, but she was also complaining because she saw an injustice that needed, an injustice that needed to be rectified immediately. But I wonder, I wonder if she had chosen to sit at his feet, if she would have gotten his perspective on what was going on, and it would have calmed her injustice down. It would have helped her to see what he was doing rather than what she perceived to be out of context. See, because sitting at God's feet and having reverence for his sovereignty, his supreme power over everything will write your perspective of anything. And that's what he's asking us to do. Stay close. Stay close to my teachings. It will lead you to a place of worship where you can ultimately transfer every value you have onto him. Now I'm going to go into this for about 30 seconds because I think it's important. When Martha got used to having Jesus around, she chose the complaining. This is kind of a little bit more along the lines of what Mary and Martha is usually talked about. Martha was complaining. Martha was nagging. As a new mom of, you know, having four children, I feel a bunch of shame because now I'm Martha, Martha, Martha. No, I want us to understand what's happening when we complain. I think because it really gives us an understanding so that we can rightly align ourselves with the power that God has over what happens. So when we complain, there's a part of our brain called the hippocampus. It's small, right here. It's a very important part of our brain. It holds long-term memory. It holds spatial awareness of how far you are away from something. And it's also integral to problem-solving and higher-order thinking. When you complain, you shrink that part of your brain, so much so that it actually can't do any of the things that I just described. You can't problem solve, you can't have any higher order thinking, and you've shrunk the part of your brain that delivers memory and all of that energy into helping you overcome something. So when we're complaining, we're actually making the part of our brain that helps us solve things smaller. It releases cortisol, the stress hormone, so much so that it puts your brain into fight or flight, which is what? I have to survive and I've got to kill everything that comes toward me. That's what happens when we continuously pick complaining. So how are we supposed to solve anything? That's why complaining can just honestly all of a sudden just start to feel good. It can just start to feel good because it becomes a part of your neurological thinking that you don't get out of ever because you're not offering yourself any opportunity to. So how do we get out? Because here's the truth. Is anyone in here a human? Okay, some of y'all look at me. Okay, hold on. <laughs> I know some stuff's been coming out in the news. I'm just kidding. Listen. <laughs> We're all in here humans. So are we going to complain? Yes, 
We are. So what are some things that can get you out of that? Listen, stay at his feet, stay at his feet. But what if sometimes what we're complaining about is a very real thing and it's a little harder to jump over just straight to his feet. I'm gonna give you two actual things that you can do. The first one is have an attitude of gratitude. Did you know literally saying thank you reduces cortisol by 23%? Saying thank you one time. You don't even have to finish your sentence. The word thank you reduces cortisol 23%. I think you should just finish the sentence and go ahead and double that percent. (laughs) You can actually have something that's called solution-oriented complaining, which means you bring your very real complaint to someone who can help you fix it and do something about it. You see, Martha did that. Martha went straight to Jesus to talk about what, what was going on. She went directly to the person it involved and the person who could help her. If you do anything other than that, it's called gossip. If you're complaining about something that doesn't involve the person that directly involves and they can't do anything to help you about it, it's called gossip. Martha actually teaches us how to not gossip. She was bold. She went straight to the son of God himself and said, get that woman in there to help me. At least she was direct. She had a clear purpose. She didn't really start with something positive, but you can. You can be specific and end on a positive. So Martha maybe lacked a couple of these, but at least she started clearly. What we value will lead us to who we emulate from this story in Scripture when things get overwhelming. What we value will lead to who we emulate from this story. It's a very important question to answer. What do you value above everything else? And I think it's very easy to say God, but follow your paper trail, if you will. Look at your calendar. That's a really good indicator. What do you value? Where do you give your intentional time to the most? I don't think the question is, who will I be, Mary or Martha, the good sis or the bad sis? I think the right question is, whoever I find myself leaning towards, what am I going to choose to value in that moment? Because shame, feeling embarrassed about the fact that you're more like Martha complaining about not getting a promotion or a pay raise yet, all that does is send you into a corner where, oh, I'm not good enough to go to worship. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to be that close to him. I'll worship from over here. So the right question is, whoever you lean towards, what are you going to choose to value in that moment? I want to encourage us as a body to value staying close to his feet. Stay close to his teachings. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, being a worshiper is what positions me to pray effectively. When you are close to his feet, when you understand you have the depth of relationship with the Father and you revere his sovereignty in your life, you are then led to a response of worship that leads you to know what to pray and how to pray because you're outside of your own perspectives and your own complaining. You're in alignment with who he is. Sitting at his feet makes us disciples adhering to his teachings. That's what we're supposed to be. Scripture says, 
go and make disciples. I don't know about you, but I can't go make something if I don't know anything about it. If I am not yet first a disciple of Jesus, I'm not fulfilling his commandment to go and make disciples. Sitting at his feet makes us disciples adhering to his teachings. I believe the Lord left us with three things from Mary and Martha. One, what a real relationship looks like. Martha spoke plainly and directly to Jesus. My closest of my closest, it's the safest with them to speak plainly and directly what I feel and what I want. It's what I teach my kids. You say what you feel and what you want. Don't leave a whole lot of gray. Don't pre-qualify your statement. Well, it would be awesome if I had, oh my gosh, my girls used to do this all the time. Oh my gosh, that cake looks awesome. I really wish I had one. You want to know what I told them? Don't judge me. I would tell them it would be kind of nice, huh? You haven't asked me for anything. (laughs) How you feel and what you want. Number two, how to overcome busyness and complaining. Choose the one thing that is eternal and stay close to his teachings. Number three, what to do when we feel overwhelmed and far from Jesus. Talk about it to the person that can help. Be vulnerable enough to let them in to help you solve the problem and make steps to improve. You see, Martha was direct, she was vulnerable with Jesus, and she stayed long enough for him to correct her so that she could move forward in life. I don't have time to go into it in this service, but in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, there's a couple of verses there, verses 6 through 23, where God talks to Jeremiah about the Israelites And how they just keep worshiping everything under the sun except him. And how it breaks his heart. And he asks them over and over and over again, please come back to me. I love you. Will you worship me? You don't know my voice yet. That's why you keep going off worshiping other things. It's in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, verses 6 through 23. I encourage you to read it because here's the hope. The hope is that God continuously says, my mercies are new. My mercies are here for you. I want you back. Come worship me. Come learn my voice. Come learn my reference. And you know, in verse 23, the beautiful thing he does is he tells them, come back. Get to know my voice. Come worship me, don't worship everything else. And I will actually give you shepherds that will teach you how to not do that again. He will equip you. You don't have to be afraid that you won't be enough to never go backwards. He will give you what you need. Our relationship with God leads to our reverence of him, which leads to our appropriate response in worship to him. You can't have one of those without the other. Or actually, the truth is, you can. They just only go so far. And then we're surprised why we don't feel it, why we don't get it. The encouragement today is to have a relationship with the Father that engages your heart, your mind, and your soul. Be aware of his sovereignty as you worship, not just when you're afraid or in trouble. Don't acknowledge his supreme power over your life just when you're in trouble. Acknowledge it in worship every time. And have reverence for the one true God at all times. Because what it looks like to live as a worshiper is to be consistently and continuously choosing to sit at his feet rather than trying your own perspectives on everything else going around you. 
Will you stand with me as we close? And if we have some prayer partners here this service, will you please come up to the altar? We'll have some people ready to pray with you. We've got Father Todd up here with his team. If you find yourself needing to talk to the Lord about realigning your perspective to his, if you find yourself needing a recommitment to revering his sovereign power as is over everything over your life, please come pray with someone. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ and give him your all, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the very first time because you've decided today, I'm going to do it. I will make the choice to follow him all the days of my life. I just want to invite you as we close in prayer to come and pray with our prayer partners here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are the only, the one, the one true king who is supreme over all things living and non-living in this whole universe. God, we commit ourselves as your bride to learning how to continuously over and over and over again come to worship you, transferring ultimate value unto you, God. Rewrite in us the things that keep us from truly worshiping you, God. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And all his people said, Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.